treat with this one. Like, we don't know. This is a treat. This is, let's follow them and see how this plays out. That, that might have been. But also, on the complete opposite side of that, they could have been angry at them. Because in their culture, donkeys were almost considered a noble beast. Like, they were highly prized, the donkeys were. They were... Um, able to carry significantly more than any human could carry. They were used for work. They were stronger than any other animal their size. And they were even ridden by kings. When a king wanted to symbolize a time of peace, they would ride a donkey into town. Now, I've seen the videos of people riding the donkeys, and it just doesn't look very noble to me. I've ridden a donkey, and I'm sure that I didn't look noble. But that's what they did. They were considered very nearly a noble beast. Regardless of what happens, here's the, here's the thing. When the disciples heard Jesus say he needs it, they went to get it. And when they told the owner, the Lord needs it, they let him have it. So that whole encounter is... However that happened, at the end of the day, they ended up getting it, taking it to Jesus. Now, to set the scene about what else is happening here, Pontius Pilate, you guys remember him, the Roman governor, he had entered Jerusalem not long before that to occupy the Antonia Fortress. And when he came in, he would have come in on a stallion in true Roman style, full garb, full of Roman soldiers, hardened by battle, the the best of the soldiers are who guarded him. So he would have come in with a lot of pomp and circumstance and just pageantry around him. And and so that would have happened not long before this. And then also Herod. Herod, the ruler of Galilee and Perea, the one who had imprisoned and beheaded John the Baptist, would have also arrived with great pomp and circumstance to go into the the, um, palace that had formerly been occupied by his dad, Herod the Great. So these two high-class individuals, very important people, would have been coming in, pomp and circumstance everywhere. So that kind of sets the scene for what's happening with Jesus. Maybe helps you understand a little bit about What's going on here? So the the rulers and the kings had come in in a very similar way. Such power and pageantry, the people would have been seeing that week. It would have been like, and and remember, they didn't have TVs. They didn't have social media to scroll on their phones. They didn't have, what they had was what was going on around them. It would have been like a parade. They would have been interested. Everybody would have been watching. Oh, look, who is it that's coming? Wow, look at that. Look how they're dressed. Look at the colors. Look at the feathers. Look at the swords. Look at the... That's how it would have been. And then here comes Jesus. Fulfilling the promise of the prophet Zechariah. Chapter 9, verse 9. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a coat, the foal of a donkey. So one thing to keep in mind when you read Matthew is it was written to the Jewish people to help them connect the dots that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. So he points back to the prophecy of Zechariah. Look, he is the Messiah. 
So they begin to spread their cloaks on the ground so that the donkey was carrying Jesus did not touch the ground. This was an expression of royalty. You guys know that. You've probably seen enough shows. Today we do a red carpet to keep the important people from having to walk on the concrete like the rest of us. It was the same thing. They would have put out the, the cloaks and they also would have been cutting palm branches and putting those there. So there's two things happening here. Keep this in mind. Two things going on. First, Jesus is setting himself up as a king. Now, not the kind of king that they were hoping for. He was setting himself up as a king of peace. That's the first thing. But the second thing is his disciples are finally, fully getting it. They're recognizing his kingship by placing their cloaks before him. They're not just saying he's the Messiah. They're not just calling him king. They're not just saying who they think he is. They're recognizing his royalty. Two things that are going on there. And Jesus isn't hiding anymore. He's been, you guys know someplace, he says, hey, don't tell him I healed you. Or he's hiding out. He, there was a lot of fear whenever he went to, um, to raise Lazarus from the dead that it was at that point he would be killed by somebody. They were, he was in hiding, but not now. Now he's full on display. He is the king. There is no doubt about it. Here he comes. So by now, and imagine the Mount of Olives right on high. So there's the Mount of Olives and he would have been coming to the Mount. He would have peaked over the top and Jerusalem would have been spread out below. Just in your mind's eye, imagine what this would have looked like. He's on top cresting the mount. There would have been a kind of a hustle and bustle on the road below, and people would have been seeing this thing happen, and the, the road would have been full of pilgrims who are going to Jerusalem, making their way for the Passover feast. And as they begin to descend down the mountain, the whole crowd would have witnessed what was going on and began to get involved. It became kind of a, a mob, if you will. Every, oh, what's going on? Oh, there's a king. Oh, let's put our cloaks out. We need to do this. They would have joined by putting their cloaks and palm branches on the ground. And then it would have been uproarious. And they would have really begun to make a scene. And they would have begun to say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Can you picture it? Can you hear what they're saying, the celebration, I bet it's even beginning to get a little riotous. That's what would have been happening. This whole time, they've been trying to stay behind the scenes and kind of keep it quiet a little bit. And, you know, things are going, but we keep Jesus hidden and out of the way. And then all of a sudden, man, it is just on fire. And the Pharisees, they, as they crest the hill and people began to do this and they're shouting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and the roar is coming up. Some of the Pharisees that were with them turned to Jesus and said, hey, tell your disciples to keep this down. Now, there's a, a thought that these were perhaps Pharisees who were friendly to Jesus and they were trying to keep it quiet. Like, hey, you know, like we get it, but you're going to die. If you're not careful, they didn't know that was his plan. They were perceived that Jesus would have been, or, or concerned that Jesus would have been perceived as somebody coming to start a revolution. Because that had actually happened just a few years before that. There was a young, uh, young man, his name was Theodos of Jordan. 
very similar scene had happened, and he had ridden into Jerusalem promising to do the miracles of Elijah, and he led a revolt. 400 of his followers ended up getting killed and hung on the garrison wall. It was a, it was a bad scene. And they had these memories in their mind, like, not again. Like, we got a guy. He seems legit. Let's not let this happen again. Jesus said, hey, if they keep quiet, the stones are going to cry out. Like, there's just no stopping it now. Here's my translation. Listen, I'm going to accomplish what I need with or without you. You might as well be with me. So the point of all of this, just telling this story, I just get goosebumps thinking about what was going on. Several attitudes that I think we need to look at. And the first is the attitude of the disciples. The disciples were asked by Jesus to do something for him, and they did it. No matter how silly it sounded, no matter how much they didn't want to, we don't know all the background, but he did it for them. And they placed their cloaks for Jesus to ride on. Then they began to place their cloaks on the ground. This was all done out of sincerity because it happened before the crowds were there. They, They did this before there was this big group of people. They were trying to do this for Jesus. Because they believed who he said he was. Truly believe in the Christ and willing to do anything for him. I think maybe I should have ended with this one. (laughs) But is this us today? Do we truly believe? Or do we just believe when it's convenient? Then there's the crowd's attitude. And I think this is the one that most of us are in danger of, to be honest. The crowd saw what was going on with the disciples and must have spontaneously followed suit. The scripture says that these were his disciples, obviously not the 12, but we can assume that they were Christ followers. I can only imagine the scene must have been magnificent as they crested the top of the Mount of Olives. The disciples, his closest ones, began to Declare him as king and put the cloaks out and, you know, do the, put, they put the cloak on the, the donkey he was riding on. They put the cloaks on the ground. They were, Jesus, you are the king. And as he began to come over the top, it would, in, the way it's set up is it would have been like a wave of enthusiasm hit the crowd. And all of a sudden, everybody's like, oh, this is the guy. This is, look, these are his disciples. And they're saying he is the king. And now everybody is, oh, my word, let's not miss this. We want to be a part of this. We want to be part of this Jesus, the king, the Messiah. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. See, the crowd was only jumping in on what was popular. They didn't start it. As they took in the whole scene, remembering the miracles that he had done before, they would have been filled with an emotion and began to say, in fact, this really is our king. In fact, he must be making his final descent now. He must be, this is it. He's going to take the country back for us. 
Finally, because, you know, he had been doing all these miracles. The lame had uh, walked and the blind were receiving sight. He had raised people from the dead like this guy's legit. He can come in and just with the stroke of his, uh, of his arm, bring down thunder and lightning and destroy everybody. Like, and if you read some of the scripture, you'll see that that is some of their thoughts. I think it was in John, it says, they had in mind to make him king by force. He had fed them and he had healed them. And he would, if Jesus wanted to, he could have done that. But see, that's not what the kingdom of God is. This is what he's been saying. The kingdom of God is not about who's more powerful. Of course he's more powerful. The kingdom of God is who's the least. And that person is elevated to the most. And the only way he could, I mean, he's been saying it and saying it and demonstrating it is the ultimate demonstration. Who is the king of the universe? The sovereign Lord most high laid his life down on a cross for us. <laughs> it's crazy. And they weren't quite getting it. The new Jerusalem, they thought, was upon them as he crested the hill. See, they had the wrong idea of Jesus. Sure, he was their king, but he was a king come to bring peace. And so we need to set our preconceived notions about Jesus aside. We need to let our perspectives be reshaped by his word. Don't get caught up in emotion and try to enforce God's agenda. Sometimes we do that. We think we know. We force his agenda. And the third attitude is the Pharisee's attitude. Even if these Pharisees were friendly to Jesus, they shouldn't have asked Jesus to quiet his disciples. Because in asking, they're showing a, a lack of belief. They're ruled by fear. Jesus, what is everybody going to think? Hold on, you need to stop. Like, we know, we know how to, let me help you. Let me help you take this place. We know how to do it. They were ruled by fear. They weren't really following Jesus. Who knows? They might have been scared of repercussions. They might have been scared of what others would think. Whatever it is, it was wrong. They might not have wanted to be seen with Jesus. <laughs> have you ever felt that way? Man, I want to stand up for what's right, but if I do, oh. I don't know. So what for us today? I believe that we just have to be very careful about whose attitude we are demonstrating. Are we demonstrating an attitude of the Pharisees where we're in fear? Are we demonstrating an attitude of the crowd where we just are going along with whatever is happening and have a wrong idea of Jesus and trying to fit him in our box and do what we want. And the reason I feel like that's the most dangerous for us is because we tend to just add Jesus to our lives. Like, I'm going to live my life. I'm going to add Jesus to it because he makes me feel better. I can rub the lamp every once in a while and, oh, that's a good feeling. Put him back in. Okay, back to my life. 
Like we misunderstand because that's not what Jesus wants. He wants us to be fully committed to him so that everything in our lives and whatever it is that comes out is him. Like the disciples, are we willing and able to do what he's asked, to call him Lord, to treat him like he's our Messiah? I don't know. So this morning, I think it's the perfect time for us to have communion. And um, as we take communion this morning, and I'll do it here in just a moment, just let it be a, a chance for you to think about where you are on that spectrum. And maybe, it, maybe there needs to be an adjustment. I don't know. And I'm not condemning anybody. I'm just saying, you know, we all need, I need an adjustment. You need an adjustment. Holy Spirit, just help me to have the right attitude, the right mentality when it comes to Jesus. To think about this week and all that Jesus has done for us and how can I live better for him? How can I make those right decisions? And, and as we get ready to take this communion, I just want to invite you to think about that today. What is it that Jesus wants to do for you? And then whenever you get to that place that you're ready, then you can take it. We're going to have four stations set up. The two in the front will have... Uh, bread in a cup, you'll tear the bread and dip it in the cup. If you feel more comfortable having prepackaged communion, those will be in the back, either corner, with the gluten-free over on this side. And um, just for the case of you being able to think about, pray about what it is that God is asking you to do today, it's all going to be taken at your, just as God leads you to. At our church, we believe in open communion. You don't have to be a member of our church to take communion with us. Just take it at your, uh, at your convenience here at one of the four places that I told you. We remember how on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he broke the bread and he gave thanks. And he said, this is my body, which will be broken for you. And we recall as well in the same way when, he, when the meal was over, he took the cup, the cup of blessing and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and drink. This is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, which will be shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. When you do this, do it in remembrance of me. So God, this morning as we prepare our hearts for communion, I'm asking that you would Help us to know the right attitude. Jesus, fill our hearts. Help us not to put you in a box. Help us not to just add you to our lives. Help us not to be scared of you. Help us to fully embrace you, which is what you want from us. Help us to contemplate that as we take this communion, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.